So you'd ask about you know unique challenges, but the role of mining. And I think the way I think about it is we need to exponentially grow supply, and that's you know that's both primary supply from you know, through, through extraction, but also in secondary supply of these minerals to meet global decarbonisation targets. I mean, period. We need to do it, though, with a relatively low carbon footprint. So I think about the greatest opportunity, you know, as a venture investor in this space is what are those technologies that can grow supply economically and efficiently and do so with a low carbon footprint? Welcome to Smarter Markets, a weekly podcast featuring the icons and entrepreneurs of technology, commodities and finance, ranting on the inadequacies of our systems and riffing on ideas for how to solve them. Together, we examine the questions, are we facing a crisis of information or a crisis of trust? And will building smarter markets be the antidote? Welcome to our final episode of Financing the Energy Transition on Smarter Markets. I'm Dave Greeley, Chief Economist at Abex Technologies. Our guest today is Mark Freeman, Managing Partner at Orion Industrial Ventures. We'll be discussing the role of venture capital in decarbonizing mining and heavy industry. Hello, Mark. Welcome to Smarter Markets. I'm glad to have you here today to talk about decarbonizing two critically important sectors of our economy, mining and heavy industry, and the role that venture capital plays in financing this transition. Now, I say these are two critical sectors because, as we've talked about many times, Mining is critical to producing the massive amount of minerals and metals we need to transition to a low-carbon energy system, and heavy industry remains one of the more difficult sectors to decarbonize. And you've been deeply involved in all of this. I know you've recently joined Orion Industrial Ventures as a managing partner after working at BHP as the head of BHP Ventures. But first, you know, I was hoping we could start off today by getting a sense of how did you become interested in this particular decarbonization problem? and in the role of venture capital in helping us all of it. Well, let me start, David, by saying thank you. And thank you for having me on the show. I've uh, enjoyed all the episodes up to this point in this series thoroughly. And um, I am passionate about our natural environment. I'm passionate about you know the energy transition. I do love investing as a discipline. And I love trying to identify a large macro opportunity get deep into it and build true knowledge in it and then think about the optimal way to, you know, to capture that opportunity. Within, you know, you asked within this sort of broader energy transition, how did I become interested in mining and venture capital? Well, as you touched on, the scale of the challenges and the scale of the opportunity, therefore, for these sectors is just immense. And compared to some of the other, I mean, I wouldn't call them low-hanging fruit, everything in this space is hard, but some of those other sectors that have had, you know, larger influxes of capital, like primary electricity generation and renewables, transportation, these subsectors within heavy industry have been perhaps overlooked or misunderstood by slices of the investment world and the size of the opportunity there. And I think that is starting to change and we can touch upon that later. You know, the scale of what we need to do to house, feed and move around our growing population and the role mining and heavy industry must play in that is just, it's immense. You ask why therefore venture capital? Well, I think there's a clear role and, you know, the large incumbents in those sectors are going to play a key role in providing the growth in minerals and materials that we need. However, needless to say, we need fundamental innovation and technology. History has shown that venture capital and and often external companies and emerging companies are best placed to provide that sort of catalyst of new ideas and new innovation. 
And I think that right now we're starting to see that influx of talent, you know, the attention, the influx of capital into this space in venture. I think we'll see some of the truly game-changing solutions start to emerge. And, and I think, you know, a really well-constructed and considered venture capital portfolio that brings both, you know, a strategic and insight angle and helps these companies scale and get the access they need as well as early stage funding um, can really move the needle and, and, in, and in the current world actually be quite profitable. I'm excited to dive into the role of venture capital in all this, but maybe for our listeners who aren't as familiar with the operations and carbon footprint of mining and other heavy industry, how do these activities contribute to carbon emissions and how big of a contributor are they? Let's begin with mining, which I think is somewhat standalone because you're saying mining and heavy industry. You know, contrary to popular views, mining's not actually such a significant contributor to global emissions via direct operations, either scope one and two emissions. You know, it's more in the downstream use of these material minerals, particularly the burning of coal for electricity, but in other, you know, in, in producing other materials too, that we start to see the really large emission footprint emerge. That's not to downplay the role of mining and decarbonisation. We can come back to that. You know, grow, as we said, growing the mineral supply is, to me, one of the greatest investment opportunities we're looking at right now. But then coming back to industry, so steel, cement, chemicals, throw in mining and manufacturing, to me it's really the sectors that produce, you know, the sort of building blocks of our society. And in that regard, they're pivotal to future ongoing growth. Broadly speaking, industry represents about 30% of global CO2 emissions, uh, which is more than primary electricity generation, about 27 to 28%, um, and almost double transportation, which is quite incredible given, you know, the time and, and the capital directed those two other sectors still by itself contributes between, give or take, 8 to 11% of CO2 emissions, depending, again, on measurement and, and location. And, you know, if it was its own sort of country, it would be arguably the third largest CO2 emitter behind only the US and China. Cement's about 8% of global emissions, and chemicals is, which are obviously feed into plastic production, um, about, about half that. So these three buckets together, the heavy industry, contribute to about 20% of emissions. That's interesting because you do hear so much about the power sector and to think that industry is about comparable to that. And of course, you know, we're very familiar with the efforts in the power sector with renewables like solar and wind. But what are some of the unique challenges that you see in decarbonizing these sectors, you know, the mining and heavy industry sectors? Sure. Let's start again with mining, which is, relatively speaking, is arguably a lower hanging fruit than, than some of these heavy industry and hard to abate sectors. And again, we can come back to mining's role later. But the challenge for mining is, is generating more minerals at an economic cost to help drive electrification of the overall economy and support growth. The key contributors to mining scope one and two emissions do vary by operation. Each commodity asset and geography is quite different. But at the highest level, I think, you know, the buckets I think of are sort of decarbonising heavy equipment, and that includes mine site fleet. And there it's really at the heart of it, sorry, about replacing diesel. That can be delivered through electrification of the equipment, you can shift to fuel cells, you can have some interim solutions like renewable fuels. And of course, just simply operating efficiencies, you know, operational efficiencies, getting more out for less or more out for the same even. But, you know, those challenges, it's particularly hard in a really big operation to get the performance needed from a piece of heavy kit, and it depends on what it is, and we can go through that. You know, to get the performance levels required from a shift to battery electric can be challenging. Decarbonising another element of the mine site, such as, you know, power supply is probably the other big bucket. Um, usually that involves massive renewable electricity infrastructure with storage, often, um, you know, pretty common challenges that are well understood. Some operations have unique challenges like methane in coal mining, et cetera. 
The challenges for the material sectors or the heavy industries, which you discussed, are probably a bit more fundamental, David. You know, at an overall level, we are able as a society to produce these massive volumes of cement, steel, etc., that we need at incredibly efficient, low prices, largely due to the availability of cheap fossil energy. So to begin with, both steel and cement production require incredibly high temperatures, you know, approaching 1,800 degrees Celsius for steel and above 1,400 for cement. Steel blast furnaces, cement kilns, typically have been powered by cheap fossil energy, so we need a solution for that. Can we get cheap, continuously delivered renewable power? The tricky part really is in actually the process themselves, where the fossil energy is actually an input into the processes, so it's not as simple as just replacing the source of energy or, or power. And so reduce iron, in the case of steel, I should say, to reduce iron oxide, which is Fe2O3, into pig iron, you need a reductant. And typically, that's um, been carbon that's provided by feeding the blast furnace with coke from coking coal, metallurgical coal. There are some new approaches um, emerging, which we'll come to later, where you can actually use hydrogen as the reductant as well as as fuel source. The challenges there become, you know, one, and we'll come to the general challenges, but the specific challenge there comes in dealing with iron ore qualities. As, you know, the most economically available iron ore, particularly Australian iron ores, have relatively high impurities such as alumina, silicon, phosphorus, all of which can be removed in the traditional blast furnace approach but struggle with some of the new, the hydrogen DRI approach. For cement, there's a similar challenge in the raw limestone and clay input are heated in a rotating kiln. At high temperature, that limestone is converted to lime, which inherently reduces CO2 during the calcination process. And that alone contributes to about half of cement CO2 emissions. So again, it's something fundamental in the process. It's not as simple as changing the power source. You can keep going into that, but you know, there's a fundamental challenge. And then there's sort of the, the inbuilt challenges of these sectors. So I'd say, David, look, the technology solutions do exist. And I'm happy to step through them now, if that's of interest. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. So broadly speaking, um, you know, some of the pathways would include keeping existing infrastructure but building point source carbon capture onto it. That could be post-combustion capture, pre-combustion or another approach. could be improving the efficiencies of the overall process and, and the material input. could be introducing a new renewable energy source, as we said earlier, such as hydrogen or a heat source. And so while each of these has you know, its own challenges in integrating into a new operation or even building a new one. The challenges when compared to heavy industry are very similar across the board, which is first, these downstream industries operate on razor-thin profit margins. So introducing new costs into the equation is a considerable, like it blows the economics out. Second, there's the inbuilt capital stock. So while some of these technologies could be economically viable when compared to, say, a greenfield build decision, existing plans that still have 10, 20 plus years of useful life are almost always going to be more cost competitive than building something new. Third, for those startups looking to integrate into an existing operation, these companies are in old world industries. To get a small startup into a big company, to get, in the case of mining, a site GM or um, a plant manager, to take a risk on a new technology where an outage for hours, let alone days or weeks, could cost millions of dollars of lost production. Now, that's a huge risk. It's a very hard penetration challenge. And then fourth, and we can return to this point, but you know, until recently, there wasn't so much access to capital for these early stage technologies in these areas, and that's changing at the early stage, I still think some of these technologies will need capital at the sort of pilot stage to sort of be fully de-risked till they're ready to be integrated into an operation or a standalone operation. Uh, you list a lot of really unique challenges there. I think in particular, the one that's sticking in my mind is, as you said, not just about changing the power source to a low carbon one, but 
CO2 is released as a just an innate part of the process of making things like steel, making things like cement. So it's really reworking the entire production process, which is a, a huge deal. And you know, in addition to those unique challenges, you know, the, this has a there's a unique role for heavy industry in our overall plans to decarbonize the economy. Because in order to do, you know, what we want to get to a low carbon economy, that is, you know, have widespread electrification powered by low carbon renewables, right now we're going to need massive amounts of metals and minerals like copper, nickel, lithium, cobalt, you know, the list goes on and on. And, you know, setting up a, a wind farm takes an awful lot of steel and cement, the same thing across the board for a lot of these projects that we're considering. And so this creates a unique role for the mining industry and the energy transition broadly. And so how do you think about that unique role in context of the unique challenges? Because we want to be decarbonizing broadly, but you know we don't want to be adding a lot of carbon in the effort to do it through the heavy industry and, and mining practices that we employ. Right. Um, and that you framed it perfectly. That's a very nuanced role, particularly the mining and mineral sector um, in this, in that, you know, the stats are now starting to be well understood and, and float around as to just the sheer volume of what we need. And that's not just the materials for batteries. As you said, like in a wind farm, you know, I think I've read somewhere that one terawatt hour of electricity from solar and wind could consume 300% and 200% more metals respectively than generating the same amount of energy from a, a conventional gas-powered plant. It's incredible. I mean, demand growth for lithium to meet sort of COP26 targets as some forecast at 17 times, a 17x growth. It's incredible. Nickel, which is even a larger market than, than, than lithium, could grow at 7x or more, you know. But the big one, of course, is, is copper, you know, and EVs, I mean, the copper demand there is huge. So you'd ask about, you know, unique challenges, but the role of mining. And I think the way I think about it is we need to exponentially grow supply, and that's, you know, that's both primary supply from you know, through, through extraction and recovery, but also in secondary supply of these minerals to meet global decarbonisation targets, I mean, period. We need to do it, though, with a relatively low carbon footprint. So I think about the greatest opportunity, you know, as a venture investor in this space is what are those technologies that can grow supply economically and efficiently and do so with a low carbon footprint? So starting with primary supply, it's largely well understood that you know exploration rates in mining and discovery of new resource bodies has fallen off a cliff. You know majors like BHP, Rio, etc. have pared back exploration budgets significantly. You know, they're almost half of what they were a decade ago. And some of the materials we really need, you know, sort of nickel, lithium, cobalt, copper, they make up 0.002 to 0.005 percent of the Earth's crust. You know, it's different than in the case of iron and aluminum. So Technologies that can discover more deposits, and that's not necessarily a high-intensity carbon activity, but things that can help in discovery are going to be really exciting to me. And you can do that by sort of acquiring new data that we can't currently acquire. Um, there are companies doing that, trying to apply shallow seismic to mining, etc. And there are companies that can analyse that data in, in new ways using AI like a, a cobalt or their AI. There are ways to economically extract more from existing deposits, and that's sort of in the get more out for less, but also recover all bodies or parts of all bodies um, that are currently seen as waste. So can we leach um, and, and develop a new a new catalyst to recover chocopyrite copper, you know, which is really low grade, 0.3%, sub 0.3% copper. 
there's a, there's a raft of startups looking at direct lithium extraction. Can we get more lithium out without the brine pools and do so, you know, with relatively low water and acid footprint? You know, and then there's those operations that are, you know, so there's those startups that are really just looking to optimize operations, you know, and that can be using, you know, again, an AI platform and uh, more optimizing mine planning even. In the other area, I'd say you can grow supplies. Obviously, companies looking at new domains like asteroid mining and seabed mining. I mean, that's not, not investment areas I particularly find that exciting today, but you've got to keep an eye out for that. And then there's sort of secondary supply, which I think is a huge opportunity. Can we recover end-of-life batteries and extract the copper and nickel from those and do so with a relatively low-carbon footprint and, and just deliver more materials to the world? Um, can we recover from waste, you know, tailings, repurposing or reuse? Um, so all those ways to grow primary and or second, secondary supply, to me, is, is, is a really important focus from the investment perspective in mining. Yeah, those are really important technologies. And I was wondering, I wanted to just stay on the technology point for a second. I still am really interested in this idea of the the CO2 release that's inherent in the process, not just the energy source. And I was curious if there's any technologies you're seeing to have a lower CO2 emission process and things like, you know, steel production or cement. For sure. I mean, there's multiple ways you can look to decarbonize those sectors. As I said, there's sort of two buckets I think about about their emission footprints. So one's the input, you know, the energy source um, that's actually powering these operations. And particularly given they're so high heat, you know, the uh, companies emerging that aren't necessarily just focused on those sectors, but have a direct application in them, um, you know, like a high temperature thermal battery company that could supply or store industrial heat um, and deliver back to the operation and recycle the heat. That That's an interesting sort of investment area for me. Same, in, you know, in the case of hydrogen, which we said could both be, an, you know, a fuel source, but also a reductant in the coal process. And there's many companies out there with new hydrogen electrolyzer technologies, you know, Medagi, Electric Hydrogen, C0. There are many. But some of those actually reaching tipping points where they're approaching economic sort of delivery of that. But, you know, then there's those technologies in the steel space, for instance, that are looking to fundamentally change the process. So, you know, one that or two that I know relatively well is Boston Metal with their molten oxide electrolysis process and then Electra Steel, which is a, a fairly unique process and, and quite an elegant one too, both of which are looking like a fundamental shift in an electrochemical approach um, to reducing iron ultimately into into steel. So those technologies, you know, again, require huge amounts of renewable power to, to operate, but they're reaching a point where they're becoming really interesting. Yeah, and this is one of the, the, the reasons I really wanted to talk to you because, you know, we, we hear the phrase emerging technologies you know, you naturally think um, in terms of financing, venture capital is a very natural way to finance emerging technology. We're all accustomed to that. On the other hand, mining and heavy industry are traditionally very highly capital intensive industries. And so one might not think of venture capital as a natural financing source. So I want to understand better, you know, what is the role of venture capital in financing this energy transition in mining and heavy industry? And, and how important do you think it is overall? It's a great question, David, and I've seen I've seen it change over the last few years, frankly. Some of these deep technologies are at an early stage, you know, lab scale, trying to get from a flow sheet to a very early stage um, sort of lab demonstration. The funding requirements, perhaps more significant than, to say, a software business, but they're able to be met through venture capital financing, and, and frankly, some of that risk is best um, held within a venture capital portfolio at a really early stage. As these companies grow, the role of venture 
is changing and needs to change. As they grow to a level where they've got a demonstration, having access to not just capital, but access to corporate partners, access to land, access to raw material input becomes almost as important as capital to de-risk these companies. And a well-considered venture strategy, and that's both financial VCs and even in-house at corporates, needs to think about how can we help these companies sort of not just cross the chasm of getting the first check into the company to get going, but how do they cross that chasm to get from a lab into something that's commercial as a demonstration? And the ability of venture capital investors that are relatively hands-on, you know, there's all the business model support, technology support that you'd expect from venture, but in this space particularly, being able to bring access to people, access to projects or or, or portfolio assets to to test technology with becomes really pivotal to these companies um, in de-risking them. And then at that stage, you know, the corporate customers start to emerge. And then they might have some initial offtake, and that's another form of financing to help get you know beyond the venture. We start many of these are relatively infrastructure heavy or project heavy, and we're starting to see, particularly at the later stage rounds, some very large firms, Wall Street firms, um, or asset managers come in and fund the actual you know the later stage rounds. At first, it was being done through venture equity, you know, in series sort of C's and D's. I think you'll start to see some of that shift in the current environment and look to really project fund or infrastructure fund some of these demonstrations. Um, And I think that's a big opportunity. But that sort of gap to get from early, early stage traditional venture through past your series sort of A to B round into something that's de-risked enough that both a corporate can underwrite an initial project or take initial offtake, and then in the next round some of these bigger players can start to fund the infrastructure that gap still just needs to be bridged. And, and, and frankly, I actually think there's probably an opportunity there now that some of this technology can actually be attractive on a risk-adjusted basis. And I, I love that word you used for the gap, the chasm. I imagine for many developers, it feels that way. And I wanted to ask you, for the, you know, with venture being so important for helping companies cross that chasm and get to the stage where you know, corporate off-takers can come in with you know, the, the higher capital levels on a de-risk project, what are some of the challenges that you see venture capital facing in these sectors? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I think there is now a critical mass of venture sort of capital funding in climate tech. And I think the first guest of the series, Nat from Bloomberg, really covered that well. I think that the investment universe is more than large enough. It's, it's, it's exciting and, and expansive. Um, so I don't think those are two challenges. I mean, typically sort of climate tech or the old clean tech face challenges given the sheer capital intensity, as you say, of some of these activities. I think as the funding markets around venture and and more generally the the weight of capital at the later stage of the energy transition investments comes to the market, I think some of that, that risk is dissipated here. I think the big challenge is as you look at these companies, right, and they're emerging companies, and many of them are trying to sell solutions to old-world incumbents. Penetrating that sort of sales cycle is extremely difficult, particularly where you've got a really technical founding team that may not be strong sales, but in any event, the, you know, the decision-making, for all the reasons we discussed earlier, the risk elements, but also just the, the culture of some of these companies is, is slow. So it's a really hard way to get going. And then if you do, um, as a startup, you're sort of selling a service or um, to a large company. It's, it's really challenging for me as an investor to get venture scale returns on a company like that. 
Can it be done? Yes, because if you penetrate enough or even just a few really large customers, you can have an exponential sort of hockey stick growth in revenue. But it is a challenging pathway. The other pathway is some of these companies are looking to, to actually disrupt some of the majors, you know, where they actually start to generate their, or establish their own operations or get you know, production royalty for the incremental growth in the case of mining um, and actually become sort of the minerals and materials players of tomorrow. And that's a path to being a, a very large company relatively quickly if you can achieve it. But that, that is more capital intensive and it's obviously more challenging to try to disrupt these industries with their existing capital stock and their existing market share. On top of those sorts of challenges, and you look at they're the challenges as much that the startups face, then obviously therefore become challenges for the venture investor. In the venture world itself, I think access to talent, like everything in, in the space of, of climate right now, is, is a challenge. And a really high-grade talent is competitive. I think that's a big focus for a lot of investors at the moment. I also think thinking globally increasingly what the US was and still probably is the nexus of a lot of these technologies. Many of them, particularly in mining and, and downstream industries like those we've discussed, are going to be implemented in jurisdictions all around the world. And having that global reach and global access is really important, both for the company, but obviously for the investor as well. And I was curious, you know, just to kind of finish the the flow through of these investments, you know, you have the, the lab scale, venture funding, getting across the chasm, corporates being able to, to invest some in, you know, de-risk projects. And I'm curious, just this whole notion of scaling up, um, you know, with these companies, with the, the large carbon footprint that you mentioned, how are companies from their perspective in these industries, you know, looking to scale their investments in decarbonization? By companies, I presume you mean... The existing corporates, not the emerging startups, correct? That's a great distinction, but I was thinking the the existing corporates. Yeah. I mean, it differs company by company. You know, if you look at each sector, some have been really on the front foot, both in terms of decarbonizing the operations, but also sensing the revenue opportunity and the cost opportunity and being the first to decarbonize. And so it depends on the company and depends on the opportunity set that presents for it. So in the case of mining, as we discussed earlier, something like electrifying a mine site, companies are either funding themselves or co-funding with developers large renewable projects, um, looking at storage options, etc. I mean, in terms of scale, it's a very fast way to get large amounts of capital at work. Many of them are then trying to develop their own unique solutions to optimise the efficiencies of their operations. And then many now establishing venture arms or accessing the venture community to look for, for earlier stage technologies um, that they can integrate into their operations and look should they find one i think a mining company is a natural acquirer of some of these and or just partner with that technology and and, um, that technology company and scale them up across their entire business in the downstream space you know again i think you're starting to see some of the large steel producers increasingly get on the front foot particularly i should say ex-china outside of china and make you know significant investments in both hydrogen um, alternatives to the existing blast furnace approach, as well as looking at some of those companies I mentioned earlier, like the Boston Metal or Electra, and saying, well, those companies could be a new solution to steel making for tomorrow. I think getting an early stake in those companies and a partnership with them is an interesting way both to get insights, but also to stay across those trends and potentially integrate them in some form. So I think they're both playing a large capital play and funding their own projects as well as looking into the venture community and allocating capital there 
to ensure that you know they've got access to, to those technologies even when they emerge to be true competitors or, or, or truly applicable in their business. And and because you pointed out the distinction, now I feel like I got to go ask because I'm curious. Uh, how is it different from the other perspective, like scaling from the emerging tech side? Yeah, it depends on the company's strategy. You know, as I said, many of them is like to the extent you're selling a solution, you're trying to get your your tech to a level where it's a you know a corporate or an existing company can run a pilot with you, and then if it works, well, hopefully get scaled across their operations and then into their peers. So the, the task of scaling is no easy feat, but you need to get to that level where you can run a, a successful pilot. If you're trying to fundamentally disrupt these companies or build your own process, I think as a startup, you need to be very, very thoughtful about that from the start. So you need to think about, you know, what's your path to market? How can you curate um, not just your own team, but your investor set and your partner set so that you can start with a manageable focused slice of that market, get some initial traction there, and if it works, look to expand and have the partner base and the access to capital, um, later stage capital to fund that. And that could be from the corporate, but you know, it could also be from a large investor, you know, as some of those we discussed that typically play at the later stage. But you need to be focused and not get overwhelmed by the size of the steel market. You need to think about where are we going to play? What's their quickest path to market that's economic? Um, perhaps targeting you know, a really high value steel product and perhaps doing it in a space where there's renewable power and access to iron ore being built. How can we get going at a profitable margin relatively quickly and then look from that to expand? Well, I'm really glad you made time to talk with us today because I know you're uh, very busy. You just recently joined Orion Industrial Ventures as a managing partner. So thank you for making some time for us. And before we let you go, I really wanted to ask you, you know, what are you looking forward to working on now? You know, I'm, I'm really excited about what lies ahead. You know, it's been an exciting and thrilling last few years investing in this space, watching it evolve. I look at it now and I think the opportunity set in terms of both capital being directed to this area, the flow of you know, technologies coming to this area and, and corporates and customers' capacity and willingness to pay for some of these solutions is the greatest I've seen it, you know, since I've been investing in the space. So I think whilst you know, we can now we can always have targeted a big decarbonisation problem, the investment opportunity here now is particularly compelling and I think at a tipping point. The Orion platform is a really exciting place to start to look at that. I mean, Orion's uh, a large asset manager in the mining space with a really strong track record of value creation, both in, in mining and, and some processing assets. And I think coming on board to launch a dedicated venture product there really marries that opportunity to be both nimble financial capital or nimble and, and flexible financial capital, as well as bring you know, true strategic value to our companies and our investors by being able to access the Orion portfolio, people, product, etc. So I'm excited to be in a really important global area in decarbonisation within that area a really important subsector being mining and heavy industry, which to date has perhaps been you know, overlooked at a time where I actually think we're about to see some of these technologies really tip over and be mega companies of tomorrow and be able to pursue that through a platform that I think is perfectly placed to deliver that sort of strategic value as well as capital to these companies. So I think it'll be a whirlwind few years ahead, but I'm, I'm very excited. And, you know, thank you for today as well, David. I really enjoyed the discussion.
Thanks again to Mark Freeman, managing partner at Orion Industrial Ventures. We hope you enjoyed the episode. This concludes our series, Financing the Energy Transition. For next week, we're working on something special to celebrate the holidays and our 100th episode. We hope you'll join us. This episode has been brought to you in part by Base Carbon. The trading of carbon credits can help companies and the world meet ambitious goals for reducing greenhouse gas emissions. But how do we judge the quality of these projects? And how can we ensure that our investments are creating real value? At Base Carbon, we're focused on financing and facilitating the transition to net zero through trusted and transparent partners. It's time to focus on what's important. It's time to get serious on carbon. Learn more at basecarbon.com. That concludes this week's episode of Smarter Markets by Abax. For episode transcripts and additional episode information, including research, editorial, and video content, please visit smartermarkets.media. Please help more people discover the podcast by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or your favorite podcast platform. Smarter Markets is presented for informational and entertainment purposes only. The information presented on Smarter Markets should not be construed as investment advice. Always consult a licensed investment professional before making investment decisions. The views and opinions expressed on Smarter Markets are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of the show's hosts or producer. Smarter Markets, its hosts, guests, employees and producer, Abax Technologies, shall not be held liable for losses resulting from investment decisions based on informational viewpoints presented on Smarter Markets. Thank you for listening and please join us again next week.